This podcast is part of the National Archives Voices of the Armistice campaign, commemorating 90 years since the end of the First World War. Hear more voices at nationalarchives.gov.uk forward slash armistice. My name is William Spencer. I'm the Principal Military Specialist at the National Archives at Kew. WO325169. Report on German use of gas, 23rd, 24th of May, 1915. The first use of chemical warfare and gas occurred during the Second Battle of Ypres in 1915. Although the German used the gas first, during the First World War, the British Army used gas more than the Germans did. In the early hours of the 24th of May, 1915, Allied troops at Ypres were bombarded with a massive gas attack. On the 26th of May, the following report was sent to the Secretary of the War Office. The salient features of the attack delivered against our troops on the morning of the 24th instant were the enormous quantities of gas employed, the depth to which our lines were affected, the duration of the attack and the variety of gases used. The attack began about 2.45am and continued apparently without interruption until about 7am, the 1st Cavalry Division, the 4th Division and 28th Division being the formations engaged. The main attack appears to have been due to chlorine, as in previous attacks from which, however, it differed in being enormously greater in volume, duration and concentration. The chlorine gas came over as a dense, whitish-green cloud, sufficient even at the asylum at Ypres to blot out houses and trees from view. The cellars at the asylum at Ypres became filled with fog. It is evident that in the trenches the concentration of the chlorine must have been very much higher than has hitherto been suspected. At a distance of one mile from our front trenches, and about one and a half miles from the German line, it was found necessary to wear respirators. Without them, the men would have been succumbed in a few minutes. As far as three miles behind the line, the effect on the lungs and eyes was very strong, and it was difficult to carry on without protection of some sort. The gases were noticeable six miles behind the line, and possibly as much as eight or nine. While the chlorine attack was in progress, a further gas attack was made by means of shells, probably intermittently, but systematically. From the evidence obtained, it seems likely that there were several kinds of shell gases employed. 1. From shells which burst in or near the trenches with a slight report. The fumes appear to have had various colours, yellow, whitish yellow, milky or violet according to Lieutenant Innes of the 9th Durhamite Infantry. The evidence seems to show that these gases affected the eyes mainly, or entirely. 2. From shells of a high explosive type, these fell further back and possibly in the support trenches also. They gave fumes which smelt distinctly. Some medical officers were confident they detected an almond smell, one both a pear drop and mustard and cress odour, also smell of rubber solution. These shells were possibly of three types, A, affecting the eyes, B, neither affecting the eyes or lungs but producing heart symptoms, cyanide poisoning was suspected, and in one case at least, reported by Lieutenant H.R. Knowles, Royal Army Medical Corps, there were distinct symptoms of this. C, one medical officer, Captain Tinley, Royal Army Medical Corps, was confident that former line was being used, drops of it falling on his eyes and face. Conclusions. Chlorine was being used on a stupendous scale for a very long period. It will be necessary to consider whether the means of protection at present provided on the assumption of smaller chlorine concentration over a far shorter time is adequate to cope, even when properly used with this new form of attack. The treatment of soldiers affected by gas attacks whilst in the trenches was the responsibility of the medical officer attached to each regiment. As this first-hand account from Lieutenant C. Molan from the Royal Irish Fusiliers shows, even the best-equipped troops could fall victim to the effects of gas. 
I noticed about 3am on being awakened by shellfire that the air in my cellar was smelling strongly of a noxious gas, which also affected my conjunctiva and nasal mucous membrane. I waited for about 5 minutes and felt so badly that I decided to try for the first time the helmet with mica window. After wearing same for about 5 minutes with tail tucked under my collar I felt quite alright. I removed helmet for a few minutes and had to resume wearing it. Its good effect was apparent in a few minutes. My servant, 10565 Private Hughes RIF, rushed into my cellar in a little while about 3.15am, very ill. He was not wearing either mask or helmet. I ordered him to wear his mask and after a little while, say half an hour, he was feeling better. About 7.30, two men of the RAF, suffering badly from gas, came to my dressing station. I saw that they had not on their masks and asked why. They said, we have them round our necks. Evidently they were too stupid to wear them over their mouths and nose. Some more came after, but they were not very ill, were pretty comfortable. They had worn their masks when the gas came on. I visited all my troops in their trenches tonight. Both men and officers are very fit and all capable of carrying on. This fact, I state, is due to the careful supervision of the troops of the officers of 1st RAF as they command their men to use gas masks at the first appearance of the gas and also see that their order is carried out. My mind is much struck with the difference between the troops of the 1st RAF and the Canadian troops who were gassed on the first occasion of the using of this weapon at Ypres attack. This I attribute to the fact that our officers in 1st RAF see that their men properly use the mask. One officer has a helmet. I saw him tonight and he is absolutely alright. I suggested the use of helmets, with some more durable substance than mica which cracks easily, plus any mask would be very good and would enable our troops to stand any volume of gas the enemy could send over. The first RAF were heavily gassed. This was stated by the regimental officers tonight, as much as any other regiment in the division. Yet, because of efficient use of the mask, are not affected anything like the troops of the 28th Division. I have observed this in the troops brought into our common dressing station. One officer, Lieutenant Brackman, who used mask, told me in the trenches that he is perfectly alright and looks it. The masks used by 1st RAF are the ordinary patterns supplied in little waterproof bags to the 4th Division. If it were necessary, not one of the men of my battalion but would be able to meet the enemy. This podcast is a recording of extracts taken from records at the National Archives and is a copyright of the Crown. Thank you.